Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. 5.13 says, this is Jesus speaking, and he says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall it be, its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand so it gives light to all that's in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that you may see so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for just the fact that we even have your son's words. We have the very words he spoke 2,000 years ago on that mount, the Sermon on the Mount, Lord. It's amazing that we would even have these. And, And yet we have more than that, Lord. We have your spirit to be here to illuminate our minds, to get us excited about his word and to stir in us an ability and a desire to live it. And so we pray, Lord, that you would do that this morning. We're thankful to be your people. We're thankful that we live in a place where there are other uh, of your disciples to be able to gather with and worship with and do life with and impact the community with. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So guys, um, as kind of David alluded to, um, you know, as you, as you hear the news lately and stuff like that, I mean, the news seems bent on proving one thing lately, which is, you know, that our world is an unreconcilable mess. I mean, you just look at, like, all the things that are going on. You think He had mentioned terrorism. Um, right now, we're in the midst of the largest refugee crisis in world history with Syrian refugees. I mean, the amount of people that are being displaced and without food and without lodging and without a home and being rejected by countries is staggering. I mean, and then at home, we have news of... Uh, police shootings and, and outrage that follows that and despair. And we have all the divides that we have politically. I mean, so we've got 43 more days of this election. I think you guys, are you guys ready? Would you guys like to do it today? Just kind of get it over with? I mean, this is insane, isn't it? I mean, it's always to some degree there's division, but we are so deeply divided as a people. And then we have all the, just the garden variety wreckage, you know, the, the broken families, the, the um, abusive relationships, the, um, the crime, the things that are happening in our world. And do you guys ache for our world? Do you just think like something's got to be done? Do you just feel this... This thing of like, ah, something has to make this right. And there are two kind of reactions that we can commonly have to this. One of them is apathy. And a lot of us, even as disciples of Jesus, can be apathetic about it. We can be like, this isn't my problem. I don't have any responsibility for anybody but my family. Uh, Maybe you even theologically think, well, you know, the world's just got to get worse before Jesus comes back, and this is part of that, so let it be. Right? There's kind of an apathy response. The other common response would be a powerlessness response, which probably a lot of you feel, which is like, I would love to help in some way. I would love to be in some way a part of the solution in this world, but I have no idea what I could do. I feel so powerless. These are global, massive problems. I don't know what to do about them. And Jesus, guys, is going is to challenge both of these responses this morning in verse 13, isn't he? When he says this, he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. And what does Jesus mean when he calls us salt? You guys know that salt was actually very valuable. Like now it's kind of like, you know, we try to avoid salt and stuff like that. In, old, in, the, in, in the ancient times, salt was incredibly valuable. People were actually paid in salt. Actually, the word salary 
comes from the word salt. People used to get paid in salt. It was that valuable. It could be used as a currency. When uh, There's an old expression, that person's not worth their salt. It means they're not worth their pay. That's where these things come from. And it wasn't just used for taste. It was more importantly used as a preservative. Salt was used to preserve food because before refrigeration and you had a bunch of meat, you had to either eat it or salt it to keep it from rotting. And I had an experience with rotten meat last summer that I'd like to share with you. Um, we were, before we met here on Sunday mornings, we were doing these uh, midweek gatherings, just trying to get a core going, and uh, we were doing these barbecues. And we did a barbecue at the park, and it was really fun, and we brought a bunch of hamburgers, and then when we were done, I put the hamburgers in my ice chest, and brought them home, put them in the garage, intended to, I think, throw them away. But the thing is, it was summertime, and we were leaving for a week to go to Palm Desert, and I forgot about them. And so they were in there, and these are, this isn't like a dead animal, this is hamburgers, like these are clean, you would think, when they're in there. And so a week and a half later, we come home, and as soon as we pulled in the, the driveway, we could smell it, and we thought our cat had died, you know, or I thought that. I always check, whenever we come back from vacation, the kids know it, first thing I do is I run in the house to make sure all the pets are alive, and then I let them come in, because that'd be sad, you know, like I want to see it if it's something bad happened. So I pull up, and I'm like, this is it, this is go time, <laughs> somebody died. And we had friends watching the place, and they were like, no, we didn't smell a thing. You know, I don't know. It was crazy. And so um, that all needed to be destroyed in a very safe manner. Um, but before refrigeration, if meat wasn't salted, that's what happened. It rotted, right? It rotted. And some cultures still salt meats. You know, the butcher will butcher an animal. They'll eat what they are ready to eat, and then they'll take the rest, they'll salt it, and they'll dry it. Kind of like jerky, right? And you preserve it. And some cultures still do this. I, I was supposed to be in Mongolia in um, October of 2001, but then September 11th happened, like three months before, and it didn't seem wise to get on a jet with enough fuel to go to Asia from LAX at that time, if you guys can remember. And so I ended up going in the spring, and when I got there, the missionaries were like, oh, you're so lucky you came in the spring. And I said, why? And he goes, oh, well, the, the cultural thing to do is to slaughter the animals in the fall, because there's certain ones you know won't make it through the winter. And so what they do is they salt all the meat. They don't eat any of the meat. They eat the organs. Okay, so it's like months and months of eating organs. And apparently, like, any organ can be eaten. And I was asking them, like, what's the worst thing you had? And they said, the worst thing that we had was sheep rectum stuffed with fat. So apparently that's a food. And I go, like, how do you, how do you eat that? And they're like, well, I'll tell you what you don't do. You don't kind of nibble at it and take your time. Like, you just gobble it and throw it back. And you have to do that because if you're there as a missionary, even a short-term missionary, you, got, you, you know, can't reject the food. You eat whatever they're given. And so I was like, I was glad I came in the spring when it was dried meat, which was great. But what does Jesus mean when Jesus says that we're the salt of the world? What kind of a statement is he making about the world? What is he saying about the world when he says that we are the salt of it? You know what he's saying? The world is like a big piece of rotting meat. That's what Jesus is saying. He says that, that the world is like rotting meat. Um, the uh, 20th century preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a medical doctor, said this. He said, the world left to itself is something that tends to fester. There are these germs of evil, these microbes, these infective agents and organisms in the very body of humanity. And unless checked, they cause disease. Guys, every one of us is born with a problem inside of us. We're born infected by sin. And apart from Christ, what happens is everybody's lives decay. All families decay. 
over time. And this is something I've seen even in, um, you know, in my, uh, as, a, as, a, as a veterinarian with my clients and stuff over the last 16 years. I've just seen the decay of sin and sin take down family after family. Communities decay. That's a lot of times why we want to move to a new community, right? We go, hey, let's move to a new community because it's, you know, not in this place of decay. Sin causes decay. It causes decays of cultures, you know, we're seeing that. Jesus is saying that he will use our salty presence as disciples to prevent the decay in the world. So we got to ask ourselves, what does it mean to be salty? What is saltiness? Well, think about the context, guys. As you look here in Matthew 5, we're in verses uh, 13 through 16, and we've just come right after the Beatitudes, and we're right before the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. To be salty is to live with the kind of heart we talked about last week, to be poor in spirit, to mourn over your sin, to be meek, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be merciful, pure in heart, a peacemaker. And then from that kind of heart to live out what the rest of the Sermon on the Mount says. It says that we should live lives that are free from sinful anger and bitterness and retaliation, that we should, um, in chapter 5, love our enemies and bless those who persecute us. And uh, also in chapter 5, that we would live lives that are free from lust, faithful to our spouses, um, keeping our commitments with joy. And then later on in chapter 6, it talks about how we should live um, freely giving to the needy. Um, serving others with prayer, living lives that are increasingly free from anxiety and judgmentalism and treating others the way we would want to be treated and to live as true blessings to the people that are around us. That's what it means to be salty, guys. That's, it means to live out the values of the kingdom. And what's really cool is that as we live out the values of the kingdom as, as individuals, as families, as a church, and, and, and non-Christians come around that, they actually are getting to see a bit of the kingdom ahead of time. Because the, the kingdom of God is coming, and will come one day and renovate this whole world. And we announce that kingdom to non-Christians, and we share the gospel with them. But it seems very implausible to them, right? But when they see the kingdom life being lived by God's people, what they're seeing is a foretaste of the kingdom. And the kingdom becomes something that's plausible. The gospel becomes believable as they see the lives of God's people living out the Sermon on the Mount. It becomes real to them. So this morning, what we're going to look at is three things. Three things that allow us to be salt and light in our culture. And the three things are these. Maybe worth writing them down. The first one is relationships. We need to have relationships with non-Christians. That's the first one. Secondly, personal transformation. We, our lives have to be changed. And then thirdly, gospel proclamation. So the three words would be relationships, transformation, proclamation, okay? So firstly, being salt and light requires relationships. He says in verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth, right? But you guys know that salt only has its effect on meat if it comes into close contact with it, right? The salt does no good to the rotting meat of our culture if it's in a salt shaker, right? There's no good in the salt shaker. It can't even actually, guys, just be sprinkled on top, can it? What do you do with the salt, with meat? You rub it in, right? We have to be, guys, rubbed in to relationships with non-Christians to be effective as salt. Guys, our world has massive problems, but when Jesus calls us to be salt, he's, thinking, he's telling us to act, to act locally about global problems. He's saying there's a way that you could act locally right now to be salt to the world in the relationships that you're near now. You guys remember the old saying like, think globally, act locally, usually about recycling and the environment and stuff like that. That's what Jesus is saying here. That, yes, there's global problems. You should pray about those. But you have ways to act locally. And we act locally when we're rubbed into relationships, non-Christians, where we find ourselves. 
Guys, think about it. If every believer in the world um, was rubbed into the world around them, super salty and full of light, guys, a lot of these global problems would take care of themselves, wouldn't they? That's Jesus' plan. Have you guys ever noticed, I mean, even in these latest stories where you see these, uh, hear about these uh, police shootings, and you see the trauma in the communities and demonstrations, you know who's always there? Churches. If you guys realize that, in all these situations, if you read deeply, if you watch deeply, if you look at what's going on in these communities, always the church is there being salt and light. And I want to ask you guys, are we ready, are we prepared to be salt and light when crisis strikes our community? That's what we're called to be. And as we see believers doing it in other places, it's a reminder to us to be doing it here. So what points of contact do we have? What are our standard points of contact that we have with, with the world that we could be rubbed in relationships? There's really three areas. You got your work, right? You got your neighbors. When we say neighbors, we mean literal neighbors. Neighbors and school, right? Those would kind of be the big three. We need to be rubbed in relationships with non-Christians where Jesus has us. And guys, I struggle with this part. I mean, those of you who know me know that I am actually introverted. This takes a lot of energy to do for an introvert. I'm monkish. Like, I like the idea of being a monk. Like, I like the, you know, cave and the books and the, you know, all those things. Like, that's my thing. And guys, we live in a society where it's never been easier to isolate ourselves, right? You don't have to go live in a monastery to be a monk. You can live in a track house, right? You could just, don't be in your front yard, right? Never hang out in the front yard. When you pull in, click that thing down right after you get in, right? They won't bother you. They're not going to come to your door. You get your Netflix, right? You order your stuff on Amazon Prime. You can live as a monastery. You can live as a monk easily. We can easily isolate ourselves from the world and its problems, even if those problems are 20 feet from our door. I want to ask you guys, how many of your neighbors do you know their names? And I, I, th I think if you think about, you know, five neighbors down on either side and the ones in front of you, I'm assuming you're in a track house, like let's say out of 10 neighbors that are in your perimeter, how many of them do you know their names? How many of them do you pray for? How many of you do you know what they struggle with? Do you know their kids' names? Do you know what they do for a living? Guys, we're called to actually impact our communities. And, you know, some Christians think it's actually a godly thing to isolate themselves and their families from the world, right? I mean, we can kind of think that, that, like, I'm doing the godly thing, I'm isolating my family from the world, we've got to keep them away. But you know what, guys? The more I read the teachings of Jesus, the more I realize that isolating ourselves from the world is not godliness, it's worldliness, strangely. Because if we look at the world, what are they doing? They're isolating themselves, right? They're isolating themselves from the hurt of the world. And so really to isolate ourselves isn't godliness, it's worldliness. Disciples are called to be the salt of the earth. We have a responsibility to live outside the salt shaker. We can't keep our distance. Guys, apart from Christ, everyone's life is in a process of decay, and that decay ends in eternal misery apart from God. And you know, guys, as religious people, we really enjoy complaining about the decay of the world, right? Like, this is a religious pastime, right? For you guys, I don't know if you guys remember the Muppets. Maybe that's not your thing. You remember the old man in the, in the balcony, the Muppets? I mean, we can a lot of times be that way. We just complain about, you know, the world isn't the way it used to be. This isn't the America I used to know, you know, and love. And all those kinds of complaints. Jesus is saying in this passage, guys, is that the world will decay. It will putrefy. That's what it does. But he's asking, where's the salt? The question isn't, why is the world going bad, but where's the salt? You're the salt of the earth. And maybe that seems a little strong to you, but read it. It says, you are the salt of the earth. And in the Greek, it's even more emphatic. It starts with an emphatic pronoun, you, 
It actually reads, you and you alone are the salt of the earth. Now, while the world is not right, guys, we smell the decay. Jesus says it's like rotting meat. What is his plan? Ultimately, his plan is to return and make all things new. But until then, his plan is us. You are the salt of the earth. And so as the salt, we need to be rubbed in. And I just think application-wise, who do you know in your work, in your school, in your neighborhood that you need to get to know better, that you need to get closer to for the purpose of being salt and light? Write down some names. You know, maybe your kids could help you with that. Maybe as couples, you could think that through. Secondly, to be salt and light requires personal transformation. As we're going to be no good to the world if we're not transformed, if we're not salty, right? Um, some of you that are here, maybe somebody here that isn't a believer might think, um, sounds kind of strange to say that somehow the church is a solution to the world's problems. Hasn't the church been an instrument of all kinds of evil in the world? Hasn't, hasn't the church often been the problem? Somebody might be thinking that this morning. And I'd respond two ways. Number one, it's actually pretty balanced how much evil's been done by religious and non-religious people. Okay, it's actually pretty even. And the one thing both of those groups have in common is what? They're people, okay? So people are evil, we agree, okay? And people can use uh, a non-religious worldview to be evil, and they can use a religious worldview to be evil, and oftentimes Jesus is always going after that religious part, right? The other thing that I would say is that what those groups have in common is they're not living salty. None of those people are living the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you look through church history and you see things you don't like, Jesus doesn't like them either. You know, these are times in which the church was not living the Sermon on the Mount. And so when we live it, we're salty. Look at what Jesus says in verse 13. He says, he's basically saying that we need to be useful to the world. Take a look at it. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall saltiness be restored? And then listen to this. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. I think it's so fascinating, guys, that Jesus says we should be useful to the world. Isn't that interesting? In our mindset, we're very consumeristic and we're thinking, what can I get from the world? Jesus says we should be useful to them. Isn't that interesting? Not only that we should try to convert them and get them to come to believe what we believe, we need to do that, but that we should be useful to them. He says we should be useful to the people around, our neighbors, our co-workers, non-Christians. Jeremiah spoke the same way to the Jews when we were in exile in Babylon. He told them, when you go into exile, have families and multiply. And he said, but seek the welfare of the city where I send you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf and for its welfare, and you will find your welfare. What good are we if we're not salty? And then you got to think, like, it's a weird illustration that Jesus gives, right? Because he says, like, if the salt loses its saltiness. Can salt become unsalty? Have you ever had, like, salt in a salt shaker, and you went to go use it in cooking or whatever, and you went, ah, it's gone bad. It's totally not salty. Right? That doesn't happen. What's going on here? Jesus knows what salt is. Back in that time, they actually got their salt from marshes, and you'd have this white powdery material, right? And it'd be a mixture of sodium chloride, which is salt, which doesn't change, and you would have gypsum in there too. You guys who have done anything, like even drilled a hole in your wall, that white powder that comes out of your drywall, that's gypsum. So you would have a mixture of gypsum and, and sodium chloride in that salt. So it wouldn't be pure. And what would happen is if that got wet, what would happen is the salt would dissolve and go out with the water and you'd be left with a bunch of gypsum. That's unsalty salt, okay? That's the thing that he said, the only thing it's good for is just spreading it on walkways. And so I know at this point, guys, you might be thinking about it, you might be thinking to yourself, that's me. <laughs> I'm gypsum. 
I'm chalk. I'm this dry powder that does no good for people. I, I don't have the kind of saltiness that I should have. I don't live the Sermon on the Mount consistently. You know, how can I fix myself? How can I make myself salty again? Jesus asked that question, right, in verse 13. How can its saltiness be restored? He always asks the best questions. How can it be restored? It's a good question because can you make gypsum salty? You can't. You can't turn this dry, chalky powder into salt. No chemist could do it, right? If, if Josh was here as a chemist, he wouldn't be able to do it, right? You would need an alchemist. You'd need a magician, right? We cannot change ourselves so that we can affect non-Christians. We can't. It's something we can't do. We can't make ourselves salt. We can't make ourselves light. So we're in this bind where we desperately want to do what Jesus says, but we're powerless to do it. How do we become salt and light? Guys, we're really helped by the next image. Look at verse 14. It's so good that there's two images here. And the next one, in verse 14, is, is light, right? He says, you are the light of the world. Just like he said, you are the salt, you're the light. A city set on a hill can't be hidden. And then you think to yourself, wait a minute, you're the light of the world. And then you think, I know somebody who's the light of the world, right? John 8, right? Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Now he's saying, we're the light of the world. One commentator put it this way, he said, Jesus is the true light of the world, and we are the light of the world as we reflect him, like the sun reflects the moon. Idea would be, as we imitate Jesus, we're the light of the world because we're imitating his life. Um, I think it's pretty, but I think there's something better here, okay? I think there's something better than us just trying really hard to be like Jesus. I think there's something better here than us just reflecting him. Um, look at verse 15. He says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Guys, lamps don't have their own light. Lamps house a light, right? A lamp houses a light. A lamp, it, it doesn't have its own light. It's the same with us. We do not have our own light. We house a light. And guys, because of our union with Christ, we're united with Christ. When we came to trust in, in Christ, we became united with him in a real way such that Christ, who is the true light of the world, lives in us and through us and makes us the light of the world. We're like that lamp housing Christ. He dwells within us. He's the one. And so we are the light of the world, not like the moon reflects the sun, but like a lamp contains a burning wick. It's about having that burning life of Jesus within you. Um, Michael Horton, who wrote a systematic theology that's great on this, and he talks about union with Christ. He said that as we're living the Christian life, as we're living like the Sermon on the Mount, he said it's not like we're, we're living simply a Christ-like life. We're living Christ's life. Okay? It's not that we're just trying to reflect him or be like him. When we are actually abiding in him, his life is flowing through us. The life is not simply like Christ's life, it is Christ's life. So do you guys feel inadequate to be salt and light? I do too. But what we need to do is we need to learn to have Christ's life flow through us so we'll be true light and salt. And I'll just tell you how I do it, how I learned from a mentor of mine, is, is to, to pray for it, you know, to seek it every day. So you pray something like this. Father, give me Christ thoughts for people today. Give me Christ's emotions for people today. Give me Christ's responses. Live through me today. Not help me to, you know, imitate Jesus, but please live through me today. And when I see my heart start to stray and my responses are not like the Sermon on the Mount, to say, Father, I know that my thoughts and emotions and responses are not Christ. They're mine. Like, please, Lord, live through me. Have Christ live through me so that it's no longer that I live, but Christ lives in me. And this is something we learn to practice. 
I mean, this is really what discipleship's about. It's about learning how to have Christ live through you, that burning life of Christ. And so how do we get salty again? By abiding in Christ. And it's so cool, guys, because in the morning when you first start the day, and some of you guys feel this more than, I, than others, but um, you start with a handful of gypsum, that dry white powder. It's not good to anyone. doesn't taste good, doesn't preserve anything, doesn't do anything. You bring that, and Jesus brings the salt. You bring the empty lamp, he brings the burning life. Isn't that cool? And you do that every day, and you say, Lord, live through me today. And some of you are morning people, and you don't realize your need as much as I do. Like, I have to, you know, get saved every morning. <laughs> like, I have to come alive. I have to be resurrected every morning. Um, and this is actually God's solution for the decay in the world, that there be increased number of disciples living more and more salty lives dispersed and rubbed into the world. That is the hope for society. That is the hope for our valley. That's the hope for your workplace. That's the hope for your neighborhood. That's the hope for your family, that there be more and more lamps containing the burning life of Jesus. Like, that's what we're about. That's what we're here to do, to, to be those kind of people and to replicate those kind of people so that there be more and more people salted with the life of Christ flowing through them. That's God's plan. It's always been God's plan. It's discipleship. You think about, like, in the very beginning, Jesus, what did he do? You know, he didn't put on a big PR campaign and do a whole bunch of things. He, he gathered 12 people, right? And he said... Let me teach you. Let me teach you how to live my life through your life. And so to be effective as salt and light, we're going to need to be rubbed into relationships with non-Christians. We're going to need to be salty, right? Transformed. And then thirdly, we've got to proclaim the gospel. Take a look at verse uh, 14. It says, you are, a light, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And then this is the key part. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So we have two different images. Salt preserves, right? And light gives understanding. It gives clarity. It directs people, right? It gives them understanding. To be effective in our mission, guys, is going to mean that we're going to have to take care not to hide Christ's life in our lives. And we're going to also have to take care uh, not to take credit for Christ's light in our lives, which can happen very easily, but to use the, the good things that we do to proclaim the gospel to others. And so, because, guys, really, you, you could live really rubbed into unbelievers' lives, right? And you could live in a way that's real salty and yet never speak clearly about Christ and the gospel. Like, if that was the mission, like, I'm all in. Like, that seems comfortable, right? We're just going to be really good people, really love people, really get close to people, right? But we're not going to, like, get really direct with them about Christ or the gospel. And if we do that, guys, we're going to really probably be pretty liked. <laughs> we're going to avoid verse 10 and 12, you know, you'd be persecuted and reviled and all those things, right? That's my constant temptation. I want to please people, to be a people pleaser. Guys, Jesus wasn't killed, right, for having a loving life and doing miracles, right? He was killed because he told people the truth they needed to hear, right? I like what Vance uh, Havner said. He's a pastor from the 1800s. He said this, Jesus was not crucified for saying, behold the lilies of the field, how they neither toil nor spin. But because he said, behold the Pharisees, how they steal. <laughs> right? Like, that's what got him in trouble. It's our saltiness and light. Uh, when, when we have a saltiness and a light, we need to be clear that it's coming from Christ. Right? We need to at some point be really clear, like, you like what you see? That's Jesus. Right? That's Jesus, let me tell you about him. Otherwise, it's plagiarism, right? 
It's plagiarism. It's taking credit for Jesus' work. Or, or worse, maybe, or equally bad, they might attribute uh, your goodness to a false god. I mean, I've told you guys this before, but like, I had a client that finally kind of came around to telling him I was a Christian, and, and their response was, oh, I thought you were a Mormon. Which, guys, if you don't know, is a compliment, right? A big one. You know, I thought you were a Mormon. And they thought, well, you know, church-going guy, goes on missions trips, Mormon, right? For years I knew these people. They thought I was a Mormon. Guys, this is an example of credit going to some other, you know, belief system, some other God, right? Um, and, and Mormons are really good people, but they don't have the same father we have, right? And I, I want my father to get the credit for what I've done. Take a look at verse 16. It says, he says that we should do these things so that they give glory to your father in heaven. We want our father to get credit for the things that he's doing through us. You guys might think, and it's real popular for people to say, you know, I'll just show the gospel with my life, you know? And it's true that we need to be salty, right? But people are not going to look at your life and say, wow, what a great person. Um, I bet that, you know, salvation is only by faith in Christ alone and not through works. Like, they probably didn't pick that up, you know? So you had a neighbor, and they needed some help, and you provided some meals, or you took care of their kids, and they went, you know what? Salvation must be completely based on Christ and not works. They're not, going to get that, they're not going to get that impression. That has to be something we proclaim. It requires proclamation. And guys, as Christians, we can be passionate about evangelists about all kinds of other things, can't we? Some are passionate about multi-level marketing. Some are passionate about energy drinks or health drinks or healing oils or herbal supplements or special dietary restrictions, right? Like, Christians get, are passionate evangelists about all those things. They, they see a need and they're excited. They're like, I've got the solution to your problem. You just need to stop eating this. Or I've got a solution to your problem. You know, rub this on it, you know, right? It's exciting when we have a solution. Or, you know, somebody says, hey, do you know a good plumber? And you do. You know, you're like, I do know a good plumber. I have just the person you need. He's so great, right? But then when it comes to Christ, a lot of times we lose our excitement. Guys, we have the real solution to everyone's eternal problem and the decay in their lives right now, Jesus Christ. Let's not hide the true light of the world. Let's lift him up on a lampstand and set him on a hill. It's a huge privilege we have. You can have more confidence in recommending Jesus to them than that awesome plumber, okay? Or that supplement. You can say, I know he works. I know he's a savior. I know he'll take away your sin and make your life new. It's, it's a privilege we have. Um, and we've been trying to kind of think through, you know, as a church, how we're going to be salt and light here. And I was thinking about it, and it's like, you know, we used to do college ministry. And if you want to be salt and light, you can, like, take a bunch of college kids, and you can, like, go down to Mexico and build an orphanage and things like that. We did that kind of stuff. But, guys, we're a church with, like, a third children. And most of them are tiny. So we need to think about, like, how we're going to be salt and light in a very realistic way, okay? And so we have one realistic way for you. It's back here. So I just want to show you here. Uh, we want to start with the needs that are in, um, in, our, in the school that we meet in right here. Look at you guys. You can turn around. Look, I can walk. Um, is this amazing? So Josh made this thing, you know, and we just happened to have this massive thing to put it over. But um, so what we have here is we, we called out to the school. Josh emailed the principal, said, hey, give us your needs that you have here um, as a school. We want to help you, right? And we have a really cool relationship with the principal. I mean, the, the other day, um, Josh had emailed him, and, and he wrote this back. He said, thank you very much for your continuing support to our school. Listen to this. We are so fortunate to have your church bless our school with such wonderful spiritual and material support. That's super cool, 
you know? Like, there's, a, there's a, uh, a way in which we can be salt and light here. So what you'll do is you come back here and you grab something. I'm glad you didn't grab anything yet because we would have made it messy. We need it all organized. But now you can. And what you'll notice is there's all kinds of things. Like, there's markers, Kleenex, crayons. Um, sometimes there's, like, backpacks. So we had some, like, clothing needs, which was interesting. I mean, there's some kids that, there's some actual pretty needy kids here. And, and, and because there's families that don't have so they can't donate it to their class and there aren't those supplies. You will find, though, a lot of yoga mats, okay? Don't be alarmed, okay? Um, they're totally doing lots of yoga with incense and, and oils and stuff. It's really awesome. Uh, there are no yoga pants that they've asked for, which is a blessing. Um, but no, the yoga mats are probably for like some sort of PE, okay? And we all actually all need all of you to buy a couple of yoga mats because there's a ton of them on here. But um, anyway, this is a chance for us to, to, to be salt and light for our school. And um, another thing that we want to do here pretty soon is uh, see if we can help them around Thanksgiving. We're assuming that there's families right here to this school that need supplies for, you know, for Thanksgiving, turkey and those kinds of things. And then we want to do some stuff, you know, around Christmas time for needy kids as well. So um, there's ways to do it right here. And we did it, last time we did it was around this time of year, last year. And what we did is you take them, bring it next week. We want to just whoosh, get it done. And then whatever is not taken, we'll take care of that too. But grab something, bring it next week, and then we'll just put it in the classrooms or he leaves it here somehow and, and they have it. Um, we want to talk to, uh, Kenny's got a really good friend that does, uh, that works with Habitat for Humanity um, here in Menifee and in Sun City. They've like built houses for people in this community. She said there's a lot of seniors in this area that starve, that are like not getting enough food, which, you know, you're shocked to hear that stuff, but she knows about that stuff because that's what she does. And so we're going to get in contact with her, figure, figuring out how to really bless this particular community. But I want you guys to also think about your neighbors. You know, as you get to know your neighbors, be looking for needs. You know, do you know a family or a single mom or a senior that maybe could benefit from meals? We do meals when, whenever someone has a baby. We'll do meals for the family. We've also done meals a couple times for, um, for needy families in our area that people know about. And so um, we, I've got a sign-up sheet that I'll put back there for you to sign up if you're available to make meals for people. But that can be a super practical way. So you have a family, say, down the street or whatever, lost a job, could use some meals. Get us involved. You don't have to do that yourself. Like, we will rally the troops. We will come up with a schedule. We will hit that person with, with meals and, and make it clear that these are gifts from Christ, right? These are ways for us to be salt and light together. Um, thinking about, you know, a lot of the needs of moms and dads in our community. Do you know a mom or dad, like even in your neighborhood, that needs to be encouraged? Maybe that needs to be prayed with, right? You have special access to God. You can bring them into the presence of God and make their requests known to God. You, because you're a Christian, have special access to God. And so ask them, say, hey, you hear their need, you get to know them, you say, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you right now? Um, we do some couple different types of that. There's the, can I pray for you? You hear the answer, and then you pray for them. There's also the ninja prayer, which is where you just pray for them without asking. Okay, so they, they mention their need, and you go like, Lord, please bless Nancy, and you know, that kind of a thing, right? There's the modified ninja prayer which is you ask them if you can pray for them, but you don't wait for them to answer, and you pray for them, so they get a little bit of warning. So any of those would be good. But guys, you have a ministry of prayer. Um, perhaps you could watch their kids to give them a break, you know, even at the park or in the backyard, or it doesn't have to be in your house, you know, to watch their kids. Maybe give them a children's storybook Bible. That's something we've done 
uh, is new parents and stuff, give them a children's storybook Bible. It has really clear presentation of the gospel. Um, inviting them to church, um, inviting them here. Uh, one of the reasons we do children's ministry is not just for us, but for our community, right? Because, you know, you could say, well, you know, children should be able to sit in church and, you know, we should train them all from like, you know, when they're a year and a half old to sit and hold the Bible. But, but the thing is, guys, is that people in our culture aren't going to have done that, right? Especially if they've never gone to church. They've not trained their child to do that. And so one of the reasons we have children's ministry is to be able to share the gospel with those kids and give the parents an easy opportunity to be in worship, okay? So inviting them. Maybe you know of kids that would love to come to church, but their parents don't want to come. We've done that where we've brought kids with us, you know, middle school kids, high school kids that would love to come to church. A lot of kids want to come to church, even if their parents don't want to. And so maybe get an opportunity to do that. Um, we want to repeat our marriage and parenting classes. So Marcelo right now is doing a parenting class. And the idea behind that is we'll repeat it with the, once we've run you guys through it, that we would invite others in the community. Because we're thinking, like, what are the major needs in our community? A lot of them have to do with marriage, parenting, right? That's the kind of help that a lot of people in our community need. And so in a couple weeks, we'll, we'll announce more about that. And, uh, and then the Christmas thing. Uh, for, for needy kids. So we have some ideas. But imagine, guys, getting back to this passage, imagine a triangle, okay? So you got a triangle, a triangle, a salt and light triangle. And at one corner of the triangle, you've got relationships, non-believers, okay? In another corner of the triangle, you have, like, saltiness, right? Transform life. And then over here, you've got gospel proclamation. We need all three, guys, to be effective as salt and light. Uh, think about yourself. Where are you strong? Uh, most of you, by God's grace, are strong in one or two of those areas. All of us have, probably have a weakness in one of those areas. Maybe think about where do you need to see God's grace at work in you? Because you could have a really transformed life and be really good at forming relationships with non-Christians and be really liked but ineffective because they never hear the gospel, right? Or you could be, have lots of relationships with non-Christians and be all about proclaiming Christ but have no transformed life. Annoying, right? Annoying, uh, ineffective, unsalty, right? Not good for anything except what? To be walked on, expect it, right? Jesus promised it. Um, or you could be, have a life where you have a transformed life and, you, and, you, and you're great about proclaiming it, but you don't know anybody, right? Salt shaker, right? That's, that's a person that's in a salt shaker, Ill, irrelevant and ineffective. But if we have all of them, we're salt and light. Guys, this is something that requires God's grace, but it's very clear too, which is awesome. Because our, the problems of the world are so crazy. You think, what are we supposed to do? And Jesus has given us very practical instructions. So my hope is that you wouldn't be apathetic, you wouldn't, but you'd see yourself as the salt of the earth, and that you wouldn't be overwhelmed because you believe that Jesus is really going to work through you. Think globally, act locally. If every Christian did this, if every Christian was rubbed into their community, super salty, pointing people to Jesus, these problems are transformed. So we just need to do what he's called us to do. Um, but it's costly, isn't it? It's costly. Being salt and light will cost you things you love. It'll cost you things like your time. It'll cost you your leisure. It's going to cost you comfort. And that's the big cost for me. Like, this is uncomfortable, you know? There's that comfort cost. There's the approval of others cost. That also hits me. Um, there's a money cost, right? What will free our hearts, guys, from our self-concern? Because we're kind of stuck in self-concern, right? What will free us from these lesser loves so that we'll do whatever it takes to be salt and light? The only thing that will free our hearts from that is seeing the costly love of Jesus, right? 
the Son of God left his own happy isolation from the world. Talk about the ultimate salt shaker, okay? Jesus is in heaven with the Father and the Spirit and the angels and redeemed humans, and he leaves that place. He leaves that ultimate salt shaker, and he comes here and he lives out the Sermon on the Mount consistently. Jesus was the most you know, perfectly salty individual ever, right? Jesus lived out this perfectly, showing himself to be the true salt of the earth who will one day remove all the world's rottenness once and for all. And Jesus truly rubbed into relationships with sinners, didn't he? With the world. I mean, so much so that people said this about him. They said, look at him. He's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You don't get that reputation if you're this kind of ascetic monk, right? They don't say, look at him, right? He is rubbed in with with non-Christians. And you know, guys, that is unique amongst world religions. There is no other even, you know, imaginary gods that have done that kind of thing. The true God has rubbed in with our sin, and he's rubbed in so closely with us that our sin has been transferred to him and his righteousness got transferred to us. On the cross, Jesus paid the price for that union with us. He took on the full cost of the relationship. As he hung on the cross, his body being pinned to these rough beams of wood, Jesus was treated as if he were us so that we could be treated as if we were him. And he even wants to live through us now. Isn't that cool? Guys, we're not saved by by being salt and light. We're saved to be salt and light. And both of those things are massively good news, right? Both of those things are massively good news. Father, we are grateful for a kingdom that cannot be shaken. To have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken free of charge, Lord. That we have been welcomed in on the basis of your son alone. And that you've given us a mission that is clear. We thank you for the clarity of the mission. And Lord, we thank you for the goodness of the mission and the power of the mission, Lord. And we thank you also that you have given all the power for mission. We're not called to do this on our own strength. We're not called to to go out there and do these things. We're called to, to dwell in you such that you live through us in the world. Lord, help us this week to maybe put ourselves in some very uncomfortable situations. Lord, we work really hard to be comfortable. We pray, Lord, that this week you would put us in some uncomfortable situations, some places where we could share your son with others, some places where we could serve practical needs of people that are right around us. Lord, we thank you that you are a great God, worthy to be praised, a Savior who has done everything for us. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of the Menifee Campus of Covenant Grace Church. If you'd like to know more about Covenant Grace Church, visit us online at covgrace.org.